Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Prepare yourself for the mind-blowing conclusion of Hero of Ages, while the podcast sets a personal best record of falling apart within the first three minutes. Enjoy the final chapter of our Mistborn trilogy series. Hey! This has been one of the first times that we've ever come into the podcast. And Craig has had nothing to say for the first 10 seconds. <laughs> That's not true at all. Um, uh, Ryan, since we're at your house, do you mind if I borrow your cleaning supplies? Because uh, the walls are looking a little uh, brain spattered around here. Don't worry, I've got a machine for that. All right, well, we'll, of course we'll get you do. to that. Of course you do. She we'll has a that. name, you know Welcome, that. welcome, oh. welcome, everybody, to the Legendarium. Uh, we are finally wrapping up our Mistborn series. Um, it has been a wild ride uh, with quite an ending. So let's, uh, without further ado, get to our cast of crazy characters here. Uh, what do you get when you interbreed a male unicorn with... A female unicorn. You get Todd Wenty, that's what you get. I, I want to know why every week you're like crossing things. You're into the interbreeding to create one of our guests, one of our I'm, panelists. I'm well, the child of unicorns. Well, his pain is your pleasure. It's Ken Johnson. Man, I'm glad I waited until book three. <laughs> that was some good punching. <laughs> and he loves soccer and therefore communism. It's Ryan Bruckman. It's true, my friends. This is very true, comrades. <laughs> Rise up, unite. Um, you guys, olé, welcome back. Olé, olé, olé. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is time for uh, the Hero of Ages. Now, uh, before we get into it, I will just mention, uh, like I said before, this is our last one. So, uh, if you are listening to this and you want to know what's coming up, well, hop on Facebook and find out because we will be holding some polls and making some announcements and deciding what will be coming <laughs> up next. That's, that's Ryan, Craig's not so bad way of saying we have no idea. Ryan thinks oh. I'm talking about Polish people. Uh, no, uh, that <laughs> I just didn't realize we were going to be going into a square yeah. and just standing there. Oh, like, I see. <laughs> many visual images of the four of us standing places holding poles. <laughs> this is not going well. Uh, we're... we're, we're, we're I've lost control very, very quickly. If today. you are still listening, we would like to see pictures of where you hold poles. No. Ken, you are not allowed to talk ever, ever again, ever. Oh my goodness. We need to change our emails and send that. Okay, guys. Okay. Under control again. Deep breaths. All right, everyone. We're sorry about that. Um, we're not going to be doing anything. We're not going to revisit that at all. <laughs> oh, I certainly okay. hope not. Uh, so, how's everybody's week? <laughs> Uh, dominated by reading of Mistborn. Yeah, so let's actually talk about that. Um, yeah, Mistborn is three books long, and you need 
all three books, unless I miss my mark. Thoughts? Uh, you know, when we when we first started and, and uh, we were talking about it, and I I read the first I read the first book, I was like, yeah, this is good. This is a good. This is a good fairy tale. It was a good romp through the through the mental images of everything that goes on. Um, it was complete. It was self-contained. Um, and then you read book two. And then I read book two, and I said, wow, book one was lots more fun than book two, but book two has some interesting stuff. And then I got to book three, and I said, nope, nope, you need all three. Yep. You can't stop, because because everything in books one, two, and three, all the way up through the last 70 pages, is all just set up. And then the real story starts. Brandon Sanderson does a phenomenal job of making all three of this trilogy relevant. I, that's, that's, you, you see far too many, you, you, well, I won't say too far too many, but you see a lot of trilogies where book one is good, book two is great, and you, you don't leave anything for book three, and man, he just builds and builds and builds, and all of a sudden, it's done. Yeah. Well, and, I, I think he's... Brandon Sanderson is is very much like ruin in this story. He had an overarching story the entire time from here and a plan from point A to point Z in this. And he said, hey, we're going to stop here and we're going to stop here to split these books up here. But the whole time, I feel like... He's he leaving you by the nose. He he did such an expert job of telling, by you, the this, ear. telling you this story that <sighs> the, the long story... Uh, over a shorter period of time with the different books. I was actually talking with someone last night about this series a little bit, uh, and they were saying, I've heard a lot about it, I'm, ex- I'm interested in reading it, and I told her, Here, here's what you can do with this series. The beautiful thing about this series, read book one. If you if you like book one, and you feel that you want to continue on with the series, go to the end. You'll, you'll finish out the series. If you aren't that interested after book one, you'll get a great story, and a complete story in book one, but if you move on to book two, you are you can't stop. Nope, you can't. No, you got to read book to three. Finish all the yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I and I think that's, uh, I think it's very interesting that we have such an encapsulated story in in one, and then the long arc story in the over the three. But you know that's that's really how a lot of I, I mean when when we look at when we look at, at a lot of trilogies, especially trilogies that have been written in the last f- fifty years. Um, a lot of them are, are prepared that way. Star Wars was prepared that way. Yep. Um, by itself, if George Lucas had stopped there, he'd be a very wealthy man, and most of us would say, oh, Star Wars, that was a pivotal movie for its time. But pursuing that story, you can't end it to. You have to go to three. Um, and and as with that, there is an, a long-term overarching story that that you get hints of all the way along. And, you know, I, I, I think that that's... I think that that's a, a fun thing about the, the trilogy process, but I think Brandon Sanderson has done it in a way that was more masterful than I have seen, um, than, than I have read in a long, long, long time. It, you know, a lot of authors can string sentences together and make them sound good. Uh, that's, that's a gift in and of itself. I mean, there are those who just, they, they just can't. Their writing is not coherent. Um, but he really Hemingway. takes it. He really takes it to the next level. It's not just that he's uh, he's good at the the words, the sentences, the paragraphs. He's good at structuring a story mm-hmm. over three books. But if that makes sense. I if I if I may, and I'm sure that we'll get to this at some point on the legendarium. But 
um the uh what's the mocking jay the the hunger the games hunger, hunger games trilogy um really fun read enjoyed them yeah, not terribly great as a cohesive trilogy not not very good all the way through I haven't you know read I mean? them but i've you heard know, that uh that that's so there, there are lots and lots of examples like that where things kind of fall apart. The author can't sustain that momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brandon Sanderson, I would put him firmly in the genius category mm-hmm. uh, in oh, this yeah. way. Absolutely. I think that we should, to justify what we do here as a podcast, um, and while we're talking about this as a trilogy piece there, uh, answer the questions that we aim to answer when we do this. Uh, just bring them straight forward and really mm-hmm. push other. Absolutely. You know, as a trilogy... Um, I actually want to do this a little bit as a trilogy, this entire story, the Mistborn trilogy story arc there, you know, why do we think this is be, you know, what is it about this after you finish it now? Why do you believe it's so popular? Is it just the, how amazing it is at the end there that he's able to pull everything together together in such a short period of time? Um, What is it that makes this last or why is it so popular right now? And I guess, do you think that a single one of these books could, could hold its own like that? Like like the trilogy would, does. Like, could you just leave if if Mistborn was the only one that was oh, written? See. Would it have the same staying power yeah. if it weren't part of this trilogy? I doubt it. I doubt it yeah. too. Um, and I and I doubt it because in one and maybe it's part of uh, part of the way that the that the literature culture, uh, especially the popular literature culture, works now. But we want something that becomes um, consuming that we can truly invest in readers seem to be interested mm-hmm. not in individual books, but in a world, a, a world that is, that is inclusive enough that they resonate, that they feel it resonates with them and that they can invest in it. We see it in Comic-Con uh, with individuals who become so wrapped up in whatever story it is that they have chosen to champion that they developed incredibly uh, detailed costumes that they want to wear because they want to feel connected to that world. And I don't think that happens in a single book. I think it requires at least a good expansive trilogy, uh, let alone a trilogy that is supplemented by other books. Well, and I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to say no um, and just leave it there. I mean, Mistborn was a good book. It was an outstanding book and it stands, it stands by itself. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about that. But if it was, if that was the only book, you walk away going, "That was a good book." Maybe I'll go read it again sometime. But the way it builds after I after book two and book three, you want to go back and revisit it. I mean, I'll, I'll admit it took me about a hundred pages to get into Mistborn. You know, I, it was a hard slog for for me through that first hundred pages mm-hmm. before to insert yourself into that world. Yeah, before I yeah. got my momentum. Uh, but once I got through book two, and especially once I got, I mean, I was devouring book three. Well, there was a whole lot of punching going on. There was a whole That's lot of punching, right? <laughs> but, but it left me going, I want to go back and see the things that maybe I didn't catch the first time because, because now I'm invested, because now he's hooked me in books two and three. So yeah, book one is a good story, but without books two and three, you might not... You might not love it. I mean, you might not, it might not hook you. And I think there's something interesting about it too, because as I'm thinking about, uh, about the overarching story, um, you really can't, you really can't do what Brandon Sanders, I, I, I don't think you could do what Brandon Sanderson wanted to do with this trilogy without having book one, because in book one, 
Are we okay with spoilers? Oh, that's, yes. Um, if, if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't read the end of the book, I guess that's your fault, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Cezette is introduced um, a good a third of the way into the, into the book, uh, or maybe just a little under a third of the way into the book. You don't even see him as a character, and he is introduced as it's kind of a he's like an end table he's a side piece he's through furniture. through the entire first book he plays barely a supporting role in some of what's going on yeah. and then at the end it's like he has this magnificent moment with vin and you're like yeah that was really cool guy sitting at the side of the room gets some moment that was cool what you realize when you get further along is uh no guy sitting at the corner of the of the deal is the one that everybody else is working to get to a place where they can let him do his thing. That was what, and and it would have, if you were to do that in a shorter period of time than three books, it would become a little bit more obvious. I think that Cezette was the one that the whole story was revolving around. I, until I got to that moment where, uh, I guess it's what chapter 80, chapter 79 or 80. I didn't put it all together. It was I I I I didn't even consider that Cezed was going to be the one the who was the hero yeah. of ages. I after uh, after after our experience with Vin, I had thought, well, I wonder if she's going to hold it together. Yeah, she did, and what I thought was going to happen kind of happened. Her but taking it, up the power, you mean? Taking right. up the power yeah. and and, and using that to control ruin and to set the stage. I I wondered if Elend was going to step into a role where he took some of that power, and yes, he does with the situation where Vin imbues him with some uh, with some missed power. Um, but I did not anticipate. Um, I anticipated either Vin or Elend being the ones who set all of those pieces, and then being gone. Nope, we've got Cezed, who's still around. Ugh. And everything, the the beauty with Cezed is this entire time you feel like uh, you go through the Well of Ascension and uh, his love of religion. So the whole time is we've established every little piece that makes him the hero of ages has been established in the previous books. Yes. Yeah. His love of religions and, and making sure that he understands the world, like the different religions and what's out there. And it's so beautiful. Like to me in the end when he says, uh, the religions weren't worthless to me. Uh, they didn't all, or they weren't they, all they true. Weren't, none of them they, were true, them but were true, they but all contained all, truth and or I, something like that. And, right? and I yeah. like the piece where he said, um, the Lord ruler wouldn't know how to move the world back because he had no frame of reference. Oh, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord ruler wouldn't know how to make men's bodies work correctly. Oh, but I do. Because he had all of that information from all of those different places that gave him the reference that let him do all of the things that needed to be done. Which, you know, it's a, it's a great way to express a feeling that I think a lot of people have, which is that no knowledge is wasted. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's true knowledge, you know, I think there's, <clears throat> there's trivia and then there's knowledge. And if you, if you can come to understand a subject... Whether it's astronomy or poetry or chemistry or whatever it is, if you can seek out the knowledge, the truth in in any subject, wherever the source of it, that is, it is valuable in some way. And Cezed says something else that's really interesting, or Brandon Sanderson through Cezed says something very interesting about faith. 
Um, and and one of the one of the moments where Cezette is going through his his process when he says that in order for faith to work, you have to want to have faith. And I think that for individuals who give themselves to the study of uh, of some kind of of uh, of art or of science, um, I think many of those people who give themselves to a study of that branch of intellectual pursuit and want to believe see in those things pieces that help them believe. Astronomers, many astronomers will find in the arrangement of the heavens things that make them believe. Um, I, I know some uh, neuroscientists who find in the structure of the brain of human beings and the similarities and the dissimilarities between other animals things that make them believe. Granted, we have, um, what's his name, Tyson? Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who you know would would who has now removed me from his Christmas card list. Oh wait, does he send those? Um, <laughs> because he and I are on opposite ends on that one. If we'd ever be on the same plane, um, but I but I think that that's an interesting comment that Brandon Sanderson is making. When you give your when you look for a reason to believe, there are reasons plenty. And if you and if you on the flip side do not want to believe, you will be given plenty of reasons not Absolutely. to. Absolutely right. I think yeah. that the beauty of uh, this discussion you're having here and also I think ties into one of the reasons why I believe this series has the staying power and lasting power is because that not all series now do. It's the fact that we're how many different stories are we being told in this one long arc here? Because uh, the story of Vin, the story of Seiza, the story of Spook, is that what you're talking well, about? Well, you have each of the different characters' story arcs, but they're, they're each different. I mean... Uh, in a lot of stories, for example, you, you brought up the Hunger Games earlier. You have a this kind of not exactly coming of age, but being forced to to live in a different uh, in a world be, due to bad circumstances, things like that. Shouldering of difficult responsibilities. Yeah, you get. I mean, you, you get that with Vin. You get the you get the geopolitical stuff. You get there's so many stories being told, and they're all told well, and they're all given their due in the series mm-hmm. that. You can walk out of this and talk about have a you know have a, a moment where we say this trilogy is it talks about religion uh, when we had the women of the Lord of the Rings discussion they were talking about you know doing a, a feminist reading of of the Lord mm, of the Rings right. thing. well you could do a this a, would be ripe for for literary for criticism. Liter- yeah to go through oh, yeah. and do a literary uh, um, I can't remember the exact term critique. she used critique a literary critique on on specific on religion on economics and you would be able to find things from every single one of those. All the way through all three books. That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, Yeah, that's I I like that, Ryan. And and to answer your question from earlier of uh, you know, do we think that why do we think this has lasted as far as it has? And I think you guys have given some great responses. Um, And then the other question that we often ask is, will it last? You know, uh, fifty years from now, a hundred years from now, will anybody be reading this book? Well, I mean, you can't really see into the future, but this is the type of book that I feel like, at the very least, people will keep it on their shelves. People will, you know, they're going to look at, uh, they're going to look at their shelves and and look at cleaning them out every once in a while and say, all right, which books are we going to send to Goodwill and all that stuff. This is one that I doubt that people who have finished it would give up easily. And so when their kids come along, they say, mom, dad, what should I read? Oh, you know what? I enjoyed when I was a teenager or a young adult or whatever, grab this Mistborn series. I bet you'll like this. So there'll be that handing down from parent to child. You know, unless the fantasy genre 
as we know it today gains some uh, higher level of academic acceptance. I don't see this lasting many generations. I don't see it lasting more than one or two more just because because of the nature of the beast. Um, if it's not taught in school or if you're not allowed to do that literary criticism that you're talking about, Ryan, then you know, then the papers don't get written. The secondary books don't get written. Yeah. And, and it, it will kind of wither and die undeservedly, but... Uh, but I don't... I, I'm a little more optimistic. Um, and, and the reason that I think I'm a little bit more optimistic uh, about this one eventually finding itself into a place where it is regarded as a, um, a touchstone of early 21st century literature... Um, is that it really provides a focal point that is timeless, but that also can be traced to its time. Um, we we currently are in a a time, a society uh, where the kinds of disasters, the kinds of challenges that our planet is facing are reflected very clearly in some of the things that are discussed or, or at least that are referenced in the book. Um, climate change, how does, how, which is a defining issue of our current environment. How are we going to fix it? Well, here you have the Lord Ruler who fixes climate change, but he fl- fixes climate change wrong and makes it worse. And, yeah, it creates a whole new set of problems. And, and, and that is one of the huge refrains in political circles right now about are we doing the right things in addressing the problems of climate change, regardless of whether or not you accept that it is man-made or not, uh, regardless of whether or not you have a position saying that it can be changed, it can be reversed. Um, the question is, when we decide to make changes about the way that we approach the world that we live in, do we acknowledge that sometimes the changes we make have unintended consequences that make it really, really worse? If that were the only thing that came from this, now granted, there, there's a lot of other things that can be talked about. Um, the issues of of politics: how long do people want to? How how hard do people have to work to be free? Um, I, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine about why certain civilizations, when granted freedom, don't hold it. Revert. Uh, and and that's a again that's a very much a 21st century issue. We have lots of burgeoning democracies that fall under the weight of their own enthusiasm and go very quickly back to the ways of the strongman, the way of the cadillo. Um, that, uh, that that's all, that's an issue of the 21st century, and it's dealt with here. I mean, there's some there's some really interesting um, issues that are dealt with in a fantasy format nicely about the 20 the early 21st century and if that's the case um and based on the way that universities are working to try and make things i mean we've got a we've got an entire university course being taught on the films of keanu reeves <laughs> i think there is room <laughs> for brandon for sanderson yeah to but be even that's kind that. of a joke um yeah, yeah but it's know, an easy a if there you go um i i agree especially if, as if you zoom out and and look at it from a, a, a world perspective, uh, Todd, you bring up a lot of good points. If this book survives a long time, multiple generations, I hope that the reason it does is because of two characters, Vin and Sazed. Mm-hmm. Um, Sazed because of his wrestle with his wrestle, his wrestling with faith, um, and what that means for him on a personal level, mm-hmm. uh, and then Vin, who wrestles not as much with faith but with um, 
the two sides of her personality, mm-hmm. the Vin and the Velet, um, and and how does she reconcile um, the person who she feels like she needs to be with the person who she feels like she kind of wants to be, and that is uh, that is universal. Mm-hmm. Um, as we as we grow up, we feel uh, we feel like we have this innate self, and then there's the self that the world is demanding of us or, or wants us to be, and uh, and we have to figure out. What are we going to do about those two sides of the same coin? Anyway. I, I think as you touch on that, a lot of our talk about will it last, um, mm. quite, you know, many more generations. Uh, I almost feel like it's being treated like it has to survive in a bubble. The reason, to, in my mind, the reason this will last yeah. is because those characters you talk about, Vince, says it's spook, you know, everything, they resonate with people on an individual level. And it's people like us who pass it on to our kids and say, read this. And then they're going to identify with those characters. Because that identifying factor exists in this in so many ways, in so many different stories, each generation afterwards is going to pass it on because they will have recognized something in that book for them that the next generation will get. You know, in terms of will it survive literary criticism and everything for years and years on end to go forward? I don't know. But I think that the human factor to the to the lasting power of this story is there. We all will feel something when we read this, and it will get passed on to the next one because we want them to have that same experience that we had with it. Much the same way that many of us feel connected to the characters in A Tale of Two Cities mm-hmm. um, and the, and some of the other characters in the Dickens novels. Um, you know, I, I occasionally I'll run into people and say, well, that can't be, that can't be anything that'll survive the test of time uh, in literature because it's commercially successful. And my response to that was... <laughs> So was a lot of literature that we now consider to be classics. Um, they were also commercially successful, some more more and some less. Um, but commercial success doesn't necessarily doom something to not be eligible for for success in a more academic uh, academic environment. Depending on the academic you mm-hmm. you ask. But I'll tell you what, you guys, we have come a long way in the last 20 minutes in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were very much in level three right now. (laughs) (laughs) Ken, what did you think about the end on a level one level? (laughs) Oh, wait, well, uh, Somebody wake up, Ken. (laughs) I I wanted to... I didn't didn't have anything to add. You guys said it all so beautifully that I just, I would just bring it down, so I... (laughs) Sat here in the corner and nodded my head like a good boy. So at, at the end of the last podcast, um, uh, I said, uh, I think we're set up for a happy ending. And I wanted to bring up this idea with you guys and see what your feelings were on it. <laughs> because I don't think this is a happy ending, but I think it's a fitting ending. It's a satisfying ending. It's a, it's a hopeful ending. Ooh, I like that. It, Yeah, yeah. You know what it reminded me of? Um the end of Battlestar Galactica? <laughs> sure. Um, actually, it's a movie that so many people hated, and uh, Roger Ebert and I really loved it. Knowing, starring Nicolas Cage. Um, oh, yeah. That it, it, not necessarily in the details, but in the feeling that it evokes, and some of the details, honestly. Um, it, it reminded me heavily of that, where you have the destruction of the world as we know it, and, and then a kind of Edenic cradle of civilization where everything starts over yeah um and that hopeful ending anyway that's what it reminded me of you, Did have you just guys- cursed us now when now when hollywood finally works out to do this as a movie series kelsey's gonna be nick cage, nick cage. Nick cage. Nick cage. yeah thanks a heap <laughs> thanks a lot that's hey, it. Ben, you're gonna burn the pewter <laughs> 
I just, you know, I I'm like it. I'm a little him. wired. I'm a little tired. I love that show. So, it, it, All right. I'm sorry. That That is a classic in and of itself. I'm okay. My head's on can, fire, but can, I'm okay. Uh, did you feel happy, satisfied, pissed off? Uh, no, this was unpunched. A, the, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going you're never. We're, you're never getting past that. By the oh, way. man. I, I embrace that. Okay. Somebody okay. has got to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. And punchers cannot speak for themselves. That's why they punch. <laughs> so Ken. Philosophy by Ken Johnson. <laughs> the more you know, shooting star. <laughs> wow. Uh, so should we, maybe uh, we talk about the predictions from last time. What you guys thought was going to happen. Yeah. And uh, Your what actually did happen. Ryan, do you still have those predictions? Uh, Ta, I think there's one yeah. card right there. I'm not sure where Ken's went. Um, so yeah, the, the question of who I is probably the... Ate it. Who like is the uh, hero of ages? I think um, Todd. What did you say, Marsh? Yeah, I said it was going to be Marsh, and uh, obviously I was wrong. Let's wrong. See. Vin becomes a restored embodiment of preservation and gives her life to chain ruin again. That was pretty close. It was pretty close. It was pretty close. I was I was very happy with that prediction. Yeah, I was very disappointed, but I will say this, um, and we talked about this just a little bit before we actually started the the podcast proper. Um, uh, they never, Brandon Sanderson never says Marsh dies. The, in fact, he's very specific about the fact that Elend pierces Marsh's throat with his sword. Marsh pulls it out and the wound heals immediately. And that's the last we see of Marsh. Now, granted, world goes through cataclysmic change, burning, blah, 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 blah. But Marsh is never specifically seen as dead. Elend is, and Vin is, but Marsh is not. That's the only thing I would say that I wanted to see that I didn't see. I would drop my mic if I could. Is I I half expected, and honestly, this is just this this would have been a personal satisfaction to me. The fact that Brandon Sanderson didn't throw it in there is probably better for the overall narrative. But I just I wanted to see Marsh fully restored, two eyes, walk across the hill, you know, and be okay. I wanted to see that. Because I liked Marsh from the very moment I saw him. And, you know, and his whole tumultuous, tortured existence was something that I did. I wanted to see. I wanted to was see your that. your tiny uh, little black heart broken, Ken? Yeah. yeah. This, this well, actually. Ken's heart grew three the, sizes that day. The, the, <laughs> hollow, the hollow hole in my chest that would hold a heart wanted to see something, you know, yeah, something happened for Marsh that was good. Well, that actually that ties back into my to my happy endings idea because one of the things that I love most about this ending and the way that he writes, especially in the epilogue, there uh, he restores uh, Ellen and, and Vin's bodies. Um, but he says, "I've talked to our friends, and they're happier, and they're happy where they are." Yeah, he goes through, and he basically the way he's talking about it. I mean, we've, he's established an, an afterlife, basically, here. Which is one of the things that he was frustrated about and that drove him into such an agnostic state mm-hmm. that he couldn't find anybody giving him a definition of the afterlife that he accepted. And now, oh, now he knows. He knows. He's able to talk with them. And so when we look at Marsh, we don't have a definitive piece on Marsh here, but he talks about how he fixed uh, he fixes Spook's injuries, makes him a misborn. I think, I, this is just my own personal little theory, and there's probably something actually out there, but Marsh was Ruin's tool. And when Sezed takes on him the power of Ruin and preservation, that means that Marsh is now his servant, and he's able to do with Marsh as he needs. 
if he wanted to repair him, put him back to the way he was, and let and allow him to have the freedom of, of the afterlife there, I think Seizet probably would have done something like that. Whether he's actually dead or not, I don't know, but as as Seizet's tool to use now, I could see that being the case. Or maybe even reuniting him with Kelsier and Mare, who was his big love. So. I want to see Brandon Sanderson's wiki on Marsh. Oh, the Copper yeah. Mind. It's called oh, The Copper yeah. Mind. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I've intentionally stayed away from uh, much outside reading just because I didn't want to, you know, I wanted us to have our own thoughts on this podcast. Well, and, now I have a new narrative. And now I will have a new website that I'll be devouring. So Yeah. the yeah. It, His wiki online, it's called The Copper Mind, and there is some very cool stuff in there. Despite there not being a ton of additional books outside of this, Alloy of Law next, and I, we'll bring that up a little bit later, how the continuation of the series, but, yeah. you know. Right on. Uh, Todd, you've got some notes uh, that you're, look like you're raring to go. I, I do. Um, one of the things that we'd, uh, we'd talked about a little bit earlier, and one of the things that you'd asked me to, to look into is and to be prepared to talk about was the nature of trust. Mm. Yes, thank you for doing that. Um, I, I, I trusted I, you to do that. <laughs> well, and, and that's, that's the issue. Um, and, if, and if there was just a, a very simple way for me to... After after reading the book and thinking about it in my own life and and how I how I view trust, I would say that the thing about trust that is that is interesting is that trust lets go. Um, Elend and Vin both had to learn to let go of their concerns, their difficulties, and their desires to control and let the other do things. Vin's difficulty with trust. Um, which we which we read about and her growth to becoming a person who can trust, uh, which I feel is a is very much a, a step that all of us go through going from immaturity to maturity is all about letting someone else be able to do what needs to be done and being absolutely comfortable with the fact that whatever they choose will work um, compared to um, a lack of trust. Um, which which ruin embodies, which is a controlling manifestation. Um, preservation lets go of itself and trusts that things will work out. Uh, ruin controls everything, and it does not, at least not the way that ruin would wish. Um, yeah, the world gets destroyed, but the world gets destroyed in a process of rebirth, which causes humanity to go on. Um, I, 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 find, I find in this process the idea of trust from an optimistic standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, it's all about letting go of control and being okay with that. And when we can do that, we reach a level of maturity. I think per, uh, perseverance, uh, preservation's plan, uh, the beauty of that. Close enough. Thank you. Preservation's plan embodies a lot of what you just said there, the idea of uh, letting go and just trusting uh, and just letting things happen because... Uh, you watch Ruin move every one of his little chess pieces constantly in this entire, as you look back in the series, um, what, you know, it, it says to, there towards the end that preservation shows Vin early. So what did Ruin do? He went and had a spike put in her so that he could influence her the entire time. He's moving all these little chess pieces. And when Vin realizes after uh, Ruin kills Ellen and Vin realizes why preservation rent did things the way that the preservation did, Basically, he took the chess pieces that Ruin was using and just put a little piece in there that was his own, 
like this creation of humanity. And he said, she understands, I understand now. Preservation couldn't uh, destroy you. I need, I need something that, to be both. And so preservation's plan was just to take what Ruin had created, the same way Ruin was doing with preservation, and just let it go. Just yep. let it run its course, and it would end up falling in on um, Ruin. Same way with the Chondra. The Chondra were a smaller version of that, too. Very, Let it go. Very Come frozen, on. yeah. All right. Yeah, I couldn't help it. I radio punch you in the face. <laughs> uh, I'm glad he didn't drop the mic on that one. Elsa was a Mistborn? Not. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. I totally threw off everybody's thoughts uh, with that one. Um, I would like to talk about Escape. Escape. As long as we're into the uh, animated features. Um, Dory es- was a mistborn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she didn't remember. So just keep didn't do misting, her. just keep misting. <laughs> was that too much? Um, well, okay, so let me back up a little bit. Uh, we've already talked about Brandon Sanderson's world building, uh, but I, I want to come back to this concept because because now that we're at the, the end of the series, we can talk about it as a whole. Um, and And, you know, we can include the hopeful ending that comes with it. But I want to talk about the concept of escape and in fantasy. Uh, because, Todd, you mentioned this a little earlier as we were talking about whether this would last. Um, you were talking about, yeah, this gives people a, a place to go, mm-hmm. a place to escape to. And I agree. Um, but is there anything in your mind or any of your minds to the fact that this is not a place that you would want to escape to? You think about a lot of fantasy worlds, um, whether it's whether it's kind of like sword and sorcery, high fantasy type stuff, or it, maybe it's post-apocalyptic zombie fantasy type stuff, or uh, vampires, or whatever it is. There's always this, it feels idealized. It feels like, do you know what I'm saying? I it's do. a place you want to go. It's a place you'd want to hang out. It, at no point in these books until the very last cradle of civilization page that you had to live through all the other crap to get to at no point do i want to be there and i find that interesting Mm. um i mean would i like to have the powers of an alamancer sure that sounds pretty awesome but the final empire the world that he's created sounds absolutely terrifying just a just a horrible depressing uh, nasty place to be it sounds like the dark Um, ages but 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 this does not diminish and in fact maybe i haven't put much thought into this but maybe it even enhances the power of the escape that he's creating for his readers i i can see that i i think for me whenever i think of of escapist literature um it doesn't have to be happy it doesn't have to be optimistic it just has to be different and it has to provide for me a contrast significant enough from my own daily life that when I go there, I, I feel like I am leaving behind all of the things that make me frustrated, irritated, or worn out of the life that I currently lead. Um, so for me, while I may not want to go there, there were things about it that I would want to be there to watch. I, I, I would want to be there because... When I come back from it, um, it is rejuvenating. Um, it is. It is. It gives me the ability to then pick up my life 
that I have escaped, that I have left behind and say, I, and, and escapist literature can do it in one of two ways. One of them is that I come back and I say, wow, I feel so much better about my abilities to take on life because of all that I've learned or all that I've experienced or whatever. But it also gives me the ability in this particular one to say, wow, <laughs> I got things pretty good right now. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm glad I'm here. And so it, it, in, in either, in either situation, the escapist action of leaving behind all of the stuff that I deal with on a daily basis is what it's all about. I need, need to know I, what's going on. I know. What? Ken, Ryan, you're sharing I just a joke can't here. not relive Ken's line. Or like, <laughs> I want to punch, punch, punch. <laughs> no, no. I just did. I keep having to stifle a laugh. Um, <sighs> Ken, I, I do want to ask you, uh, It can your answer can incorporate what we've already talked about or something new if you prefer. But aside from the punching, um, <laughs> what, aside from the punching, what what are you going to remember from these books? Um, what is it about uh, about Mistborn that that you're going to take away? Uh, honestly, I I take away not just from not just from this. I take I take away things that are a little bit more abstract and a little bit more detailed in the whole creation of of the books. And Brandon Sanderson's depth is incredible. I mean his his detail and his mapping and his his creation of a world is i i honestly i don't think i have ever read anything that is so deep as as he could create not not deep as in philosophical philosophical depth but yeah. in just the layers and and layers of world that he has created and in the way that it works in terms of the physics of it in terms of the uh the system Sure, that he's created it is phenomenal, and you read it, and and everything makes sense. The way that he is, the way he has put it all together, just you you never walk away from anything going, yeah, that wouldn't really, no, how I, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. He makes it make sense, and you you read it all and just go, wow, that I had so many wow moments, and just going a lot of a lot of tips over the hat. Yeah, as you're reading this, good job. Oh sir. man! Um, but speaking of tips, oh the hat. What is it? Uh, Stephen Colbert does tip the hat, wag, wag the, the finger. finger. Um, Todd, any wags oh the finger um, that you would like to a couple to talk about? A yeah, because I, I mean, as as much praise as we're heaping on this, nothing is perfect. Um, and I, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. Maybe some things that could have been improved or left out, or what? You know, um, and and I and I think it is a. Um, if if there is a piece of this that that I had a few moments where I was completely pulled out of the sus- the willing suspension of disbelief and was brought immediately back to 21st century world that I live in, it was some phrases um, that were in the that that he used in the end of the book, and um, because my my Kindle has been or my uh, my phone has been working on things, I don't know if I can find them quickly enough. Um, but one of them was um, it was very colloquial. I, uh, I'll see if I can find it. But it, um, it was it was very much the way that we would talk now, rather than uh, the conversation that he had built. It really takes a lot of skill to get out of your own modern colloquialisms. Uh, it it takes, and not just not just skill, not just discipline, but a lot of knowledge. Um, to be able to apply 
a voice consistently throughout a book. And and most authors, most professional published authors can't do it. And that's fine, and we forgive them that. We so. do, we do. Um, but that is that is one of the things that becomes um, a struggle. It's the Achilles heel heel of fantasy, as far as uh, as far as I'm concerned, at least with beginners. And I would say it's also it it exists equally in those who write science fiction. Okay. Um, you you have you have certain types of um, phrases. Uh, a phrasing, a phrasing that are so much a part of the time that you are in that sometimes you, you know we talked about the hat trick. Yeah. Um, you know that his his use of the word hat trick. Now for all of our listeners in Canada and Minnesota, um, and it wasn't just the narrator either. It was Ellen. it was no, Ellen. It was, it yeah. was a character using yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 there's another one that he does where he uh, where he says something like, uh, uh, yeah, how, that. How, I can't remember where the spot is. I'll see if I can find it. We'll post it on the on the website later for anybody who's interested. Um, but but those kinds of conversational colloquial terms that are very American, very twenty first century American, um, are the are the pieces that will date it. in In the same way, I I'm a I'm a big Disney fan. I love Disney films, but I gotta tell you, when I tried to show my children Aladdin. There were a few moments where the genie does things that I think are absolutely hilarious, and my children look at me and say, "Why is that even funny?" One of them was the Arsenio Hall moment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, and my kids don't get it because it's very much rooted in its time. There are a few moments in that where where the descriptions, where the conversation, feel very much uh, rooted in our time. And if there is a criticism, that's probably one that will sh- that would show up over time. Is that those pieces feel like they are taken very much in 21st century America? Yep. yep. Um, Ryan, what about you? Anything that jumped out at you as as wrong? Uh, I mean, I, wrong. What distracting? The, yeah, there you go. That's a good word for distracting, it. Distracting. I. I mean, we've already covered this a little bit. I was just curious if you. Well, it's it's going back to Ken. What Ken was talking about in uh, with his what he really enjoyed about this whole story. Uh, to me. There is a beauty in art, whether it be stage productions or anything, where you know that the job is well done, when in general you don't notice the thing, you don't notice the scenery, you don't notice things like that. Well, with what Brandon Sanderson has done, there are those little moments that can be distracting the hat trick, because even I spotted that one. Those moments can be, but he has done such a good job in the, with the world around him and with everything else that he's created, that those moments... Those moments are more jarring because you don't find much else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you probably, if there were more moments like, more lines like that in the entire series, you'd probably pass over a number of them not realizing they were there because you kind of get used to the fact that, you know, when you're watching uh, a production, a lower budget production of a in a theater or something like that, you get used to the fact that, well, that bookshelf is not actually 3D. It's painted on the, it's painted on the wall. And you just kind of let that go. Um, I think Brandon Sanderson does a fantastic job of creating such a wonderful world that we can nitpick yep, there little you go. pieces yep. here and there. Absolutely. I agree. Um, what you just said, it reminds me of a quote, um, and for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the uh, dusty old 19th century dude that said it, but he was talking about the power of prose. Uh, in fact, you can find it in the Oxford Book of English Prose. Uh, but he's talking about the power of prose, and he... he 
I'm paraphrasing here, he says something to the effect of, uh, prose is different than poetry in that in the best, with the best prose, as you're reading it, you don't notice it's there. Mm-hmm. Like you say, yeah. It you uh, you never stop to question its authority. Never, neither do you stop to applaud its beauty. Uh, it just it exists, and you buy it mm-hmm. uh, if it's if it's good. And this guy is good. I think mm-hmm. that's that's the the great struggle for every artist is to create something, whether it be a story or, or image or whatever, that is that pulls the audience that, in, that pulls you in there, but does not. Uh, well, I, I can't say artist because some art is meant to be that way. But like you were saying with prose, where you just the artist gets out of the way, it creates something and then gets out of the way, yep. and lets this thing take on a life of its own and to exist for other people to come into and enjoy and make interpretation and, and work through. And I really, I don't generally label a lot of uh, literature as as artful as I feel that this one is. Because there is so much you can take from it. Um, you know, it's... Some people might call it a sad commentary when you can have as much of a religious experience reading certain, <laughs> reading a fiction, a fantasy novel, <laughs> as you can reading, uh, you know, religious text, whether it be the Bible, the Quran, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, whatever you happen to... to whatever your religion whatever is. Whatever you pray to at night. <laughs> so, wow. That thing's just, the just great spaghetti monster. Um, you know, I agree. It's, there's the moment at the very, very end, and I'm glad that we waited and forced you guys to wait until we could all get together for Ken and Todd to finish this book, because there's the moment in the, the very end, the epilogue, uh, the moment when Sazed seizes the power, when this really does move beyond the punch-punch level one, <laughs> which is what I'm calling it now, um... To, you know, beyond the the level two and I think into where at that level three, it's searching for some sort of human truth or even divine truth. You know, it's whether or not it achieves it, you know, that's a debatable point and I'm happy to hear arguments otherwise. But I felt uh, I felt very transported by the ending of this book. Um, If we can again harken back to that last Tolkien podcast when we were talking about catastrophe, that moment, that sudden turning from disaster to uh, to uh, success, to wonder, to glory, um, where, as Tolkien says, you uh, you rip apart the fabric of story and peer through to the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, f- I felt like he uh, he came about as close as I've seen anybody come, um, or I should say as I've as I've seen most. Well, and there is there is so much at the end here that you can just sit and contemplate for a while. When for I don't know about for you, but for me on the second read through, reading books one and two was a lot of I missed that, I missed mm-hmm, that, I missed that. Mm-hmm. There's the clue that sets up that. There yeah. I, I see it all there. I get to the end of this series, my on my second read through, and I'm sitting here re- reading a couple different lines here and there, and going. I'm just going to sit and think about this for a minute because I can. I, I don't have to worry about knowing what's coming next. Right. I know what's coming next. So I can think about this for a little while. So when things like Sazed says, I am unfortunately the hero of ages, you know, you can go for a minute. I stop for a minute and I go, wow, what a what, what a, a thing to say. <laughs> what a complex for a god to have because he's a god now. He's um, for those who aren't who haven't read the wiki or weren't there. He's now called Harmony. 
That's mm-hmm. oh, nice. what he becomes. He becomes harmony okay. um, between the two powers of preservation and ruin. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, but to have that still maintain that reticence, like yeah, you know what? I am the hero of ages, and sorry about that. Yeah, that's <laughs> wow. I was not expecting that type thing. You know, um, and yet so many of those clues were there. Um, the terrorist people called them world bringers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he would bear the world on his arms. Um, how about back to the clue in the first book where you, she, they, they do the awkward, this whole awkward thing about him being a eunuch and you're right. like, oh, well, that's an the, interesting character choice. And then you move on or? and you don't even think about it again until yeah. Tindwill, the whole thing within Tindwill. And then that moves on and you totally forget about this whole factor. And in the prophecy, it's, it's gender neutral. Neither, neither male nor female. Yeah. I'm reading yeah. it this time going, well, duh. <laughs> that, that makes so yeah. much sense. And I should have seen it. And. To to my brain, I think, did he really actually go out and meet uh, Vin and Ruin in right field? Because that's where it felt like this came from to me. <laughs> Put me in, coach. Oh. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, when I when I got finally got to the end of this. Uh, it, I put the book down and I looked over at my wife who's sitting on the couch next to my chair and and she's read the first book, uh, but she's busy. She hasn't gotten to the other two yet. I put the book down and I looked at her and I I said, and I quote, I said, oh, honey. (laughs) And she said, what? I said, oh, seriously though, Mistborn. Seriously. (laughs) She goes, really? I go, yeah, no, you, yeah, you're going to need to read these. (laughs) So she she read the first one um, as a favor to me and enjoyed it as I knew that she would. She mm-hmm. did the same thing with Ender's Game. She didn't believe me. And then she really enjoyed it. Anyway, so I hope that she'll endeavor to take on the other two because it is quite the experience. I, it, 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 was, it was a fun run. It was it did not feel um, it, it did not feel at any point in time, uh, at least for me bogged down by the immensity of the story that was being told. Um, that was one of the things that I've struggled with with um, Lord of the Rings. Um, at sometimes the story be- felt so immense that it felt really heavy. Uh, it felt heavy to, to, to work through. Um, there have been a few others, a uh, few other series that have had pieces of that, but this didn't feel that way. It was enjoyable. Yeah. Um, any last thoughts before we wrap it up, you guys? I'm I'm not ready for the ride to end. I'm gonna get Alloy of Law. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. I haven't even read it yet, you guys. It's um, I I I have such a respect and love for these books that I'm afraid to read the Alloy of Law. Does so that make sense? Don't be afraid. One of the things from about what I've heard. the one of the things about this that I find to be so interesting, and it's this is from Brandon Sanderson, uh, him talking about. One of the things that he really looks to do with the magic system, and one of the things that drives him crazy about fantasy in general, is the idea of a world that never progresses. And so we get, uh, he, we've already talked about how he's got, this is a trilogy, there's going to be two more trilogies, each in different time periods, Alloy of Law being the first in this more, uh, it's more of a Western feel, more modern. It's about the time that you would imagine the steam engine uh, yeah, uh, being uh, introduced. Steampunk yes. allomancy. And the idea of what if you take this magic system in this world you've created and the world evolves around it, how does it affect the evolution of the world? How does it affect how things are, are there? And not allowing a world to stagnate on a single system type thing. Yeah, one of the things that he said was uh, when we were listening to him at Comic-Con, he said, um, 
how how valuable is the ability to push metals in an environment where metals can move as fast as a bullet? It suddenly doesn't really become valuable to pull that way, so you have to find a different way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So the push becomes interesting. Um, it's just really, I, I'm I'm excited to see how he's what he's done with this magic system to keep it relevant. One yeah. one fear that I have is that uh, we'll end up with another Robert Jordan. Not that I'm a huge disciple of his or anything, but um, but he died before he finished. Um, and I can see because Brandon Sanderson, he's a young guy. He's like what he's 30, 38. 38 years old. He's got plenty of time in front of him. But at a certain point, I'm like, dude, stop announcing new projects. Just finish the ones you've already talked about. Because yeah, I'm very interested to see it too. And I hope that at some point he gets to him. Well, you get. He's alluded to the fact that if we have another Robert Jordan situation, it won't be the same kind of situation. His his wiki that is available to us online as observers uh, is not the same wiki that he has uh, for his writing projects. He has a separate one that is for him mm-hmm. and for the people in his in his office and in his environment, his editor and and so on, that keep them straight on what's going on. But I'm I have the feeling that he's also mapped out an awful lot on that wiki to make sure that if anything did happen to him, those stories still get finished. Well, that, that was not a threat, Brandon Sanderson, though. <laughs> Come on the podcast and tell us. Um, <laughs> or else that is a threat. What? Well, I know I, I was actually We'll make just... sure that Ken isn't around to punch you. <laughs> oh, come on now. I was looking up for when uh, <laughs> when the next book is going to be released in uh, the, the trilogy. They have Alloy of Law. The next one is due, I believe, in 2016. That's oh, <sighs> Okay, yeah. So maybe I, maybe I have a new reason not to read Alloy of Law. Get, that's, get to writing, Brandon. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, 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 you you don't write enough. <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> say, I just picked up his uh, Way of Kings, read the first forty pages, and went, "Wow, wow, this man is good." Yeah, yeah, he is. He good. is. All right, good. you guys, let's call it. Um, you know, maybe on the next one it'll be a, a subject that we don't adore so fervently. I don't know. This one uh, we had a lot of good things to say about Mistborn. Let's go find a book we all hate. Yeah, let's do that. Um, I have a list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we will call it for Mistborn for now. This may be a subject that we uh, revisit in the future, but thank you to everybody who listened to our Mistborn series. Hope that you enjoyed reading it as much as we enjoyed podcasting about it. Uh, and shoot us any feedback. Uh, maybe one of our future episodes will be uh, simply responding to those who write in and say, hey, you missed that. Um, I hate that you said this. I, we really want to hear everything you have to say. So the legendariumpodcast at gmail.com or just leave a note on our website, thelegendariumpodcast.com. Uh, yeah, we would love to tackle any any subjects you want to throw our way. So... You guys, uh, thanks again for reading with us. And uh, uh, sign off. Ouch, ouch. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our website at thelegendarianpodcast.com.